Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your super villainous host, Javi. <laughs> and uh, we are here doing The Karate Kid Part 3. Uh, we have finally arrived at the movie that essentially killed this franchise. None of you wanted it, but you're getting it anyway. <laughs> and I think one of the first things that we discussed when we were uh, kind of beginning to do this movie was we were wondering what the timeline was, or at least you were. I it took me some time to figure it out, but I was pretty well aware of what it was. Okay, when you first started watching this movie, how mm-hmm. much time did you think had passed between Karate Kid 2 and 3? I would have said a couple years, like two or three years. All right, well, fucking surprise, because... <laughs> Early in this movie, we're going to find out that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi are just getting back from Okinawa. And surprise. So <laughs> and in the maybe six months between Karate Kid 1 and Karate Kid Part 3, no one is left at Cobra Kai anymore. Uh, Kreese shows up and bills are piling up and he's about to lose his dojo. And he's essentially become... I guess a near homeless guy and (laughs) he becomes a shifty hobo that has nothing to do but drink and yell invectives and do karate and his dojo which you know in the first movie they make it look like it's really you know they didn't make it look ultra nice but at least it, it didn't look like a you know drug neighborhood like a neighborhood overflowed with drugs and all that kind of stuff and not that they do that here, but like, I mean, it was the Valley, right? So it's like, you were like, all right, well, it's the Valley. It looks nice compared to a lot of other places. It looks nice. But in this movie, it's like, now you have homeless people that are sleeping outside the dojo. And I don't know if the sleeping homeless man was meant to connote that the entire neighborhood is now like, <laughs> is has now like gone to squalor in the, in the time since Daniel beat Johnny. Karate inspired gentrification. (laughs) (laughs) But it introduces something that will be a running theme throughout this movie. And that's nothing in this movie is subtle at all. Everything in this movie is like a sledgehammer to the face. It is very obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is very obvious whenever they want to make a point in any of these, in any part in this goddamn movie. (laughs) Oh man, so Angel, what was your first experience with the Karate Kid 3? My first experience with this movie was I watched it around the same time 10 years ago that I watched Karate Kid 2. Again, the sequels were things I never really watched, except funny enough, and and we're going to have to talk about it next week, because we'll talk about the movie in this franchise that I'm most familiar the sequel in this franchise that I'm most familiar with is actually the one that we're going to get next week which I don't know if I've asked you this before but have you ever seen the next Karate Kid when I was like six all right so you know (laughs) basically nothing at this point not a damn thing oh my god you are in for the ride of your life but no my god i felt like i went in in for the ride of my life when we did karate kid part two (laughs) yeah and now you're in for the ride of your life again with karate kid (laughs) three oh my god all right but oh this movie legit does take place in september of 1985 
<laughs> yeah, it's supposed to take place literally the like the year after Karate Kid one. Because you were like, man, you, I remember you texting me while you were watching it. You're like, oh, how how much time has gone by between the first one and this one? I was like, no, 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 it's no more than a full year because the end of this movie, Daniel is the reigning, defending All Valley Karate champion. You sound like Paul Heyman, the reigning <laughs> defending. But he is, right? Yeah. Even though Daniel looks much older and looks a little chubbier than he did in the last one. And again, we're not here to body shame Ralph Macchio, but you know, how how much longer could he try playing this 17, 18-year-old guy? He was like, 27 at the time of filming <laughs> this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's a it's a hard 27 like he looks like he looks like a thick boy now and i feel you looks, know he he looks every bit he looks every bit the age that i was right after i got married i got married at 27 i know what 27 looks like and this man looks 27 you he immediately not, threw a punch <laughs> he does not feel like a teenager anymore I bet he had to buy one of those special extenders for his karate belt. <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm done body shaming Ralph Macchio. All right, so right off the bat, you can see that everything in this movie feels forced, right? Nobody wanted to come back for this. Nobody wanted to come back for this. This movie is written by the original writer of the original Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. But the only reason why he ends up coming back for this is because he didn't want somebody else to ruin his masterpiece. <laughs> so he decided to come back and kill his own creation by himself. If anyone's going to drown this child, it's going to be me. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of? I literally feel this guy, like, writing the script. God, what is this? the screenwriter's name? Screenwriter's name is... Robert Martin. Yeah. I literally picture Robert Mark Kamen and I know that this is for some reason this has become like the franchise where we've like made a ton of wrestling references but for those who don't know I would I would beg you to go seek if you're interested seek it out on YouTube there is this like segment right in WWE that Vince McMahon did one time when he was just about to bring NWO to WWE <laughs> And in this segment, like he, I swear, Vince McMahon should have won an Emmy for this because the guy is like crying. He's hysterical. He is talking about how if anyone's going to kill his creation, it's going to be him. And it's he goes off the fucking wall, batshit crazy. I literally picture the, <laughs> I literally picture Robert Mark Kamen just like sitting in a dark room spinning around in an office chair crying to himself as he's writing the screenplay he's just (laughs) he's just sitting there like vince mcmahon time to inject some poison and then he writes the character of terry silver yes yes terry silver is literally like He is the most paper-thin bad guy I've ever seen in a movie ever, right? Like, 
you would be absolutely blown away that this that this movie was written by the same guy who did the original one. The original one is so good. And I literally talk about being it being one of my favorite movies of all time. I compare it to Rocky, like to you know what I mean? And even John G. Avildsen is back in this. John yep, he's still Avildsen. directing. Yeah, Ad even Advilson, whatever. <laughs> even he comes back. So it's like based on the, the entire like you know, creative people that are in this, you would think it's going to be something a whole hell of a lot better, right? Mm, you would. You would think that, yes. <laughs> and I don't know if it is. All right. So when the original Karate Kid 1 came out, it was the year before Back to the Future, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, as someone who didn't grow up in the 80s, like when I think of the 80s and I think of these seminal 80s movies, I think of Back to the Future more than anything, right? This movie comes out the same year as Back to the Future 2. So it's uh, Elizabeth Shue will never come back as Allie until Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. She was in Back to the Future 2. She was actually not in Back to the Future 1. Back to the yeah, Future 1 actually has a, the girlfriends. Yeah, Back to the Future 1 actually has a different actress in it, but apparently she like retired from acting shortly after that movie so they end up recasting her with elizabeth shoe and elizabeth shoe basically you know leaves this franchise to go to that franchise wasn't part of that story was she was too tall because michael j fox is like five six well probably and they were like (laughs) oh no she looks too she makes them look extra diminutive (laughs) well i you know what i'd give ralph macho a lot of credit because she definitely looked taller than him and it didn't seem to bother him just like a bit at all like they never they never call any attention to it right even though you notice it i mean look at him he was the young italian stallion (laughs) and now he's you know we already know where it's going. <laughs> we know we know where he is at this point in the Karate Kid timeline. <laughs> but all right, so Daniel and Mr. Miyagi—they're back from Okinawa. Um, surprise! Instead of Daniel just staying with Miyagi for the summer, you know, we—they're we, literally looking for excuses to not have to bring his mom back ever again, because they talk about how her his mom has to stay in Fresno. And, you know, watch her uncle, Lou, his uncle, Louie, who I didn't even know Daniel had family on the West Coast. I thought he was from the East Coast. They made it very. Oh, no, no, no. She went back to uh, apparently she went back to New Jersey to take care of him. So this woman has only been working at this new L.A. job for six months, yet Mm -hmm. she can like leave work for months at a time and go like stay in Fresno. (laughs) I don't know. She's only known. Mr. Miyagi as a person for maybe about as long, six months or so, and she has zero problem leaving her teenage son with this man. This is literal weeks, if not maybe just months after that karate tournament. And where she like that was like the literally the most time she had ever spent around Mr. Miyagi. Yet all of a sudden she is totally fine with Mr. Miyagi watching him. This guy doesn't have a job anymore. <laughs> The, the theme of this movie is all the stuff you liked from that original movie are now gone. Mm-hmm. Cobra Kai, the dojo, it's falling apart. There's hobos outside of it. John Kreese is basically going to be homeless pretty soon until he remembers that he has a rich friend who lives in the valley who he can go to, who we never heard of this guy ever before, but we're going to bring this guy into the story now. Uh, Daniel's, he's now gone from 
you know, living in the apartment that they lived in in Reseda to that apartment is now being torn down. So, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mi- surprise, Mr. Miyagi, you don't have a job anymore. Uh, surprise, Daniel, you don't have a house anymore. <laughs> no one told him either. This is the worst part. Like, no one thought to make, like, his mom didn't think to tell him, hey, like, you know, call him no more. He's in Okinawa. So here's the plan. I have to go to the East Coast. Also, the apartment that we live in just got torn down. So good luck, kid. You know what the most frustrating thing about this is? Is that you would think that they didn't even bring back the actress who plays Daniel's mom, but they brought her back. They brought her back to do one scene where she's on the phone with an ailing uncle and that's it. That is all we're going to get from her. She has no interest in whether or not Daniel actually is going to college. <laughs> Daniel's literally going to blow off starting college <laughs> mm-hmm. so that he can help Mr. Miyagi start a fucking bonsai store in Los Angeles. I, you know, because there's such a high like demand for bonsai <laughs> trees in Los Angeles, apparently. Even in modern hipster, we appropriate everything L.A. I don't think there's a market for this. You but just okay. spoke it into existence through the power of magical <laughs> thinking. There's some <laughs> dickhead down in the valley that's now going to open his own fucking bonsai tree shop. Well, maybe one does exist. I mean, like, you know, I I don't hate L.A., but, you know. I L- do. I will. <laughs> LA's a fucking weird place filled with fucking weirdos. So, all right. I mean, we're, we, I mean, we also have fucking weirdos and we're also a weird place, but we're the cool kind of weirdos. Yeah. The, the kind that nobody really ever thinks about. You know what bothered me about this? And it's the common trope, the most common trope in this film is just the stupid, like, one line write offs of all these female characters. And it's yes. like, it's really annoying how their characters that were really important to Daniel's development at some point, and they're just like, "Oh no, remember Allie? Remember how you thought maybe she was uh, she was kind of cool and she was like the sassy chick that could really hang out with you can see actually hanging out with Daniel? No, she's a goddamn bitch, and now she like left him for the quarterback at UCLA. <laughs> oh, remember when you liked? Uh, oh, I want to call her Kumiko. Yuka? Kumiko, thank you. UKA is uh, that's. Mr. Miyagi's girl. Yes, over there. yes, yes, yes. So Kumiko, you remember Kumiko, Han? They super like they built a relationship that transcended a language barrier. Oh yeah, she's gone now. She went to Tokyo. Well, you know what? At least, at least, the... at least what she they wrote her off. It wasn't as bad. Like it's not as bad. The one was way worse. It's not as bad, and because of what they did with Ali already. Did you not already expect Daniel to to find a new girl in this movie? Yeah, I right. I mean I didn't want it because it's no. weird. It's just like damn, this guy has he really can't make one relationship work for more than three months. Goddamn. <laughs> well, and this one's not even gonna work either because yeah. this one, like he she's she's like weeks or like a month away from moving away to ohio right like mm-hmm. and you know of the three girls that daniel like spends the movies with she's probably the least interesting if we want to be totally honest not because she's not because she's yeah not because she's a woman just because she's a poorly thought like she's just like a I don't know. Much like everything in here, it feels like they just want to get to things really quickly, so they just rush everything. 
And despite the fact that this movie could have the opportunity, like Daniel basically won a death match <laughs> in Karate Kid 2. <laughs> and now in Karate <laughs> Kid 3. And now in Karate Kid 3, we're literally going to bring everything back to, you know, the scope, the small scope of that original movie. And it just doesn't feel right. It feels super forced. And I can't picture that this is where this story would have gone from there. So apparently Ralph Macchio um, asked that he not have a romantic uh, a romantic uh, relationship with an- another female character in this movie because the 27-year-old Ralph Macchio was already married by the time he filmed this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on top of that, so you, <laughs> on top of that, apparently the Robin Lively, the actress that plays Jessica, is like sixteen. Oh no! Yo, yes. Oh Jesus! <laughs> That's exactly what happened. So, um, the whole situation was super creepy and uncomfortable for everyone involved. So they were just like, "Yeah, you guys are just gonna be friends," and I'm just like, first of all. Why do you have a 16-year-old acting the opposite of a 27-year-old? Yeah, that seems like a really questionable choice on the production's part because it's not like we believe that Allie and Daniel were both in high school, right? Like, you didn't have to get somebody that young. And plus, like, the character she's playing is supposed to be, like, around Daniel's age at this time, so, like, like 18, 19, like... To the point where she's already moved across the country to, you know, start her own, like, clay pot store. You know what this tells me? In the 80s, middle, like, it was so easy to just go start your own business. They were just giving business licenses in L.A. like it was a fucking hot case. You know what? Let's. It is good that you mentioned that because, like, we made jokes about the fact that there's no kind of market for stuff like this. Like, we, it's easy for us to forget that the 80s was the beginning of Reaganomics, right? Like, basically, this entire fucking shitstorm, late-stage capitalist hellhole that we're all, like, living through, like, it wasn't exactly the same in the 80s. Well, it wasn't exactly the same for white people in the 80s, let's be clear. Because this is also a time... this, This is the decade where crack is literally ravaging, like, black and brown communities at the very same time. But at least in in these kind of communities you know what i mean the valley of la or what you would think of the valley in la like yeah people were prosperous you could own a karate dojo who the fuck would own a karate dojo as their main source of income now like could you picture it <laughs> no no, no. You, even you, like right now i'm going to i'm i'm going to expose myself on 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 podcast but i started doing uh krav maga again and even that, like the 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 folks that uh, run that 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 program, I guess right now because it's not even a gym because of COVID, we're all doing it outdoors. <laughs> like because of that, like one of them has to still has a day job. Like it's not something you can't just run a a, a martial arts school like as your primary source of income. <laughs> yeah, this this series. I mean, this movie. 80s movies have all, by and large, aged poorly. Shakes of... fist at heavens. Reagan! <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I Once again, my ultimate boogeyman rears his ugly head. 
Yeah, we don't fucking like Ronald Reagan on this podcast. And if you do, well, go find <laughs> yourself another fucking podcast. <laughs> There's 50 <laughs> other podcasts that are doing episodes on Karate Kid that can suck his dick for you. But thanks for listening. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so the villains in this, uh, the villains in this are Kreese, who decides that he needs to make a great comeback. This is supposed to be the Kreese revenge story? What did I tell you? It's a Karate Kid 3, how John Kreese got his group back. Because <laughs> he fucks off the Tahiti for like the first third of the movie. No, okay, yeah, because it's so fucking weird. Like this movie, the director, the writer, they all said it was meant to be Kreese's revenge story. Kreese is in the first couple of scenes and he'll reappear in the like tournament at the end, but he's barely fucking in this. Like he, you all of a sudden, once he's losing his dojo, he remembers that he has this rich friend in the Valley who like has a ponytail. And let's be clear (laughs) when you see Terry silver, Terry silver does not look like a uh, toxic waste dispersing multi-billionaire. He looks like, he's a porn director like this guy looks like he does porn and we're in the valley and in the valley in la is where they shoot porn so he looks like and not only that like every time they introduce him he's always doing rich guy shit the first time you see him he's sparring and kicking the shit out of three people and then like the next time he shows up i think he's in the sauna right Mm mm-hmm and then there's another time where he's like in a bath, <laughs> just drinking champagne with all his assistants, br- like bringing him shit. And I'm just like, why? Like, we get it. You're like, you're making this guy. Uh, we get it. He's super rich. Oh, and he's super fucking evil too. Because while he's like having his meeting or having like a conversation with Kreese, he's hitting a punching bag and he gets interrupted so that he can sign release forms to dump toxic waste in Borneo. And he complains about like all the lawsuits that he gets and stuff like that. You know, all that bullshit that we're talking about, about like how fucking we hate like late stage capitalism. This guy is, this guy is, is the boogeyman in this movie. (laughs) He is physically late stage capitalism. (laughs) Oh my God. Like, like all we need is like, for him to just be like, like you just have a t-shirt on that says villain on it at all times. <laughs> like, because like even his laugh, like, you know, before he, before like he enacts his evil plan, like there's this one part where he tells, <laughs> he tells his assistant, I'm taking two weeks off for revenge. <laughs> and every everyone's just like oh okay cool yeah that's a great idea yeah he literally says for the next two weeks my business is strictly revenge (laughs) and i'm like revenge for what you've never met this 18 year old kid to begin with yes and that's the part that doesn't fucking make any sense unless there's any other explanation besides this guy's just an evil motherfucker who like likes ruining lives for absolutely no discernible reason like there, it just doesn't make any sense for, that he's going to like focus this much energy on punishing Daniel for... What? Daniel didn't even do anything to Kreese. He, <laughs> he beat Johnny. He beat Johnny. 
Johnny and Cobra Kai were the people who were bullying him. Like he and Kreese had very little to do with each other at all. And the the writers basically didn't really know what to do with him. So they made him racist in part two. And then in part three, they decided to make both of them racist. Both Terry and... <laughs> they just doubled down on how to write an evil villain. Let's just make him super racist. It is really bizarre. It is devoid of any subtlety. And this guy... Okay. It's weird because this series had the like the first one had such a poignant like acting performance from uh, Pat Morita that you said almost won him an Oscar, right? Yeah, he was nominated for the Academy Award for that. And it's like the characters were so full of depth, and even even Johnny, who would have been your like cookie, like he had him. He was written in a way that didn't make him a cookie cutter, uh, like school bully villain. Because even at the end, he had kind of that redemptive moment where he gives uh, Johnny, I'm sorry, Johnny, he gives Daniel the the trophy as a sign of respect. And he even says, you earned this. Mm-hmm. And it's like they made these characters. So they, they made them realistic and complex. And all of a sudden, everyone's a fucking cartoon character and a caricature of like who they used to be. Well, not just that. John G. Avildsen won the Academy Award for Best Director for Rocky. Rocky won Best Picture in 1976. Like, these guys, Bill Conti did the music for Rocky. He was nominated for the Oscar. Like, this movie has a really, like, solid pedigree of creative forces behind it. And it feels little better than, like, a direct-to-DVD sequel. All I needed was anytime John Kreese and Terry Silver to be on like the screen at the same time. I just wanted the Bulk and Skull theme song to play. <laughs> it really doesn't help that Terry Silver, like, yeah, it has a ponytail and li- yeah, yes, that's exactly it. They look exactly like Bulk and Skull from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah, you get total Bulk and Skull vibes. <laughs> Um, all right, so <laughs> so these guys are planning a grand revenge plot against okay, them. Angel. Did you understand what exactly their revenge plot was? Yeah, this is where I'm about to get into how fucking complicated this is. <laughs> because, all right, Terry Silver is gonna send Crease to Tahiti, right? Because- I'm still with you, yes. He just needs to relax for a few weeks and have a vacation for God knows whatever the fuck reason. He just needs to find himself and, you know, <laughs> Tahiti will definitely help him, like, unlock his chakras or some shit. I don't know. All right. Terry Silver finds out where Daniel LaRusso lives. I mean, this guy this guy was homeless. He didn't even have a place to live. But this guy will suddenly find out that he lives with Mr. Miyagi. He will show up at Miyagi's Zen Garden uh, and and start like saying, hey, aren't you that kid who won that tournament? Aren't you this and that and this? And do they not find it fucking weird that this guy like shows up out of the blue and starts asking all these like mad personal questions? Like you wouldn't know these things about Daniel unless you were personally stalking him. And it doesn't weird anybody else out. And bes- not only that, he gives a very flimsy story that he's like a representative of the people that taught him and Crease 
like Cobra Kai karate to begin with, and that he was sent over to like apologize and like offer an olive branch. And this is where it gets even more complicated for absolutely no reason at all. They decide to tell Daniel and Miyagi that Kreese is dead. <laughs> And my favorite part is when he tries to sell it, and he's like, oh, no, you know, he was perfectly healthy, but we all know it was from a broken heart from losing his dojo. (laughs) I was just like, you shut the fuck up. This This man could never have possibly died from anything else other than, like, he finally found the right guy at a bar to, like, fucking kill him. (laughs) Runs all the shit he talks. (laughs) I can see him like trying to recreate the scene from Deer Hunter and miscounting where the bullet was. <laughs> All right. And now it gets worse because then at some point he breaks into Daniel's house, looks at all the newspapers that show, you know, that Miyagi was part of the, what is it? What is the regiment called? Uh, the, the military group. Oh, the uh, 344th, I think? Sure. And he, like, you know, finds out all these details about Miyagi's life. <laughs> when Daniel and Miyagi show up, his this grand villain, this multi-millionaire uh, m- captain of industry is hiding in a goddamn chimney. I'm sorry, it was the 442nd, but yes. Oh my god, the fact that he like he's such a fucking super villain. It's so stupid. But a dumb super villain. Like a super villain in a direct to DVD like kids movie from the 90s. Like the only thing that would have been funnier is if he goes if like Daniel would have been like, Wow, sure is chilly, Mr. Miyagi. Shouldn't we turn on the chimney? And then like Terry Silver looks right at the camera and goes, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, like, this guy feels like the villain in one of those, like, 90s kids movies. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Punks. It used to be, like, on Disney Channel yeah, all the time. Yes. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like Henry Winkler is, like, the evil villain in that. And he's, like, the, you know, it's just, th- though, this is the level of villain that we have now fallen to. <laughs> Remember when Chozen was trying to kill him to restore his honor? Chozen? Chozen literally feels like a fucking... You know what Chozen is? Chozen and Karate Kid 2 feels like Parasite compared to this fucking bullshit-ass movie. Like, like it is literally a three-dimensional, like, depth masterpiece compared to where the fuck we've fallen at this point because this really does and we haven't even really talked about the plot of this movie mostly because it's so fucking paper thin daniel against miyagi's own will opens up this bonsai tree store makes miyagi work there miyagi kind of goes along with it but like even the relationship between daniel and miyagi doesn't feel good and like it, it feels like it feels like daniel takes advantage of him a little bit like, he doesn't fucking listen to him. <laughs> and then he gets mad whenever he doesn't get his way from Mr. Miyagi and tries to, like, blame Miyagi for it. 
Yeah, and he does it to everybody. He even does it to the girlfriend character in this. What is the character's name? Jessica. Jessica. Like, even Jessica gets treated like that. Daniel's not very likable in this. And I know their thing is to kind of make it seem like, oh, well, Daniel's going to go to the dark side now because, you know, if if Mr. Miyagi won't train him. And there's an earlier part of of the movie where he's kind of teaching him kata, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, but then later, he, for some reason, all right, <laughs> we really need to fucking jump back and forth here because this movie is all over the place. So, so will our discussion on it be. Yep. Terry Silver not only decides to do all of this recon work to find out about Daniel and Miyagi, they hire Mike Barnes, karate's <laughs> bad boy, to be... <laughs> the ultimately he's going to be the avatar that is that they're going to like control to be able to defeat daniel once and for all so two grown-ass men hired a child (laughs) so that he can kick the shit out of a child for them a child who also looks like a 40 year old man Oh yeah! At this point, he <laughs> looks like he's smoking the. He has like a three pack a day habit. <laughs> um, and he even has like evil villainous friends as well. Because despite oh, you mean the snake, the goon. <laughs> yes, his name is Snake. Snake <laughs> and Mike Barnes are doing whatever they can to get Daniel to defend his championship in the All Valley Tournament. And when Daniel says he doesn't want to, clearly because he's not in fighting shape at this point, <laughs> they decide that the best way to get him to do it is to destroy Miyagi's merchandise, assault Daniel, threaten to sexually assault Jessica, who you've mm-hmm. already pointed out is a 16-year-old girl in real life. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly... Oh, God, I hadn't even thought about that part. They did threaten to sexually assault her. Jesus Christ! (laughs) They just went off the deep end for this movie! Yeah. It's like, it takes place in the same location, but it doesn't feel anything like that first movie. And it's just like, God damn, it's like, if you were really going to do this poor job of, like, trying to continue this story, you probably shouldn't have done it. Like, you know, like, shouldn't have done it is how I feel about this entire movie. And So, yeah, eventually they finally, you know, what's his name? Johnny, no, not Johnny. What's his name? Barnes. Mike Barnes? Yeah, so eventually Mike Barnes, after threatening to essentially drown Jessica and and, uh, Daniel, Mm -hmm. he gets him to sign... The contract saying they literally follow him around threatening him while holding a contract in their hands. Like it what it, kind of wrestling bullshit is this? It feels like pro wrestling because only in wrestling do you have this thing where like people threaten each other to sign contracts. And we would know because we watch pro wrestling. Like, yeah, we're grown adults. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the bullshit that they do on those shows, and that's what they're doing here. And I think you discussed something with me. Like, we discussed this offline, and I would like to bring it up now. I'm very glad, even though, like, it probably would have made more sense to bring Daniel, uh, sorry, Johnny Lawrence back. I'm very glad that they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I think if Johnny Lawrence would have came back to, to play the Mike Barnes character 
and do all this stuff to try to bring Daniel back. I don't think Cobra Kai works. Mm -hmm. I think Cobra Kai only works because at the end of Karate Kid 1, Johnny actually gave Daniel props. Even in Karate Kid 2, he's threatened by Kreese, so it makes sense why he doesn't like Kreese right away by the time you get to Cobra Kai. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like everything feels off everything feels off it's like instead of it being johnny that came back or instead of it being one of the other members of johnny's crew they could have done that mm. instead of it being one of the other original cobra kai no they bring back this other guy and now cobra kai is a one-man dojo <laughs> yeah that's actually true because even though he fights as cobra kai he is literally the only person but he doesn't even train he doesn't train there. Well, that's the thing, right? He's supposed to be like this weird karate prodigy. So it's like no one even questions the fact that he leaves. He leaves whatever dojo or whatever program he was in. And he's just suddenly with this other random dojo, which is just two adults who, you know, are paying him to kick the shit out of kids pretty much. And Terry Silver is spending more time training Daniel than he is Mike Barnes. No wonder Mike Barnes loses. Okay. So I know. Good point. <laughs> No, here's the thing. This is where Terry Silver's plan is stupid. Oh, I mean, this is where it's stupid. Yes, because up until now, it's been bordering <laughs> on stupid. This is where it goes super stupid to me. I would actually, I would probably go out on a limb and say this entire fucking plan is stupid. No, From yeah, the moment but... that he takes two weeks off to make revenge his entire job for the next two weeks that's when it's fucking stupid no everything is just 80s coke fueled like fever dreams up until now so this is where i like this is where i'm like okay this is a kind of a dumb plan but this is where it gets really stupid is he hires mike barnes to kick the shit out of daniel and i'm like okay that makes sense and i'm like but then he starts training daniel and he starts training him wrong as a joke, apparently. <laughs> but the point is, what like if the if the goal was to crush both Miyagi and Daniel, what was even the point? Like, why are you doing both? You either hire Mike Barnes to kill Daniel in like the All Valley Karate Tournament, or you make Daniel go to the dark side and then crushing his soul because you you know crushing Miyagi's soul. Because you've now taken his like prize student and like surrogate son. It's like, why are you trying to do both? Why are you training this guy like just to get his ass kicked? And that's where I'm like, this is and then and then you reveal everything like in a very stupid way later. Like ah they, they like reveal it on the eve of the all karate <laughs> tournament again. And that's why I was thinking they were going to go and get Daniel, like, they were going to have Daniel lose by, like, using whatever Terry Silver taught him. And it's like, they didn't even commit to that. Like, they, and at this point, it's just bad writing. It's like bad, like, the writers just couldn't come up with a fucking good story beat to go with this. It's so they awful. were just like, they're, they're like, let's just make a bunch of evil, stupid plans and put them together and see where this movie takes it. All right, so as if we didn't think all of this was stupid and, you know, we didn't really talk about Jessica as a character, mostly because she doesn't do much. You know, you feel sorry for her because she's being her life and are being threatened by Mike Barnes <laughs> and, and 
and snake but at the same time she's gonna go away she's moving away her and daniel aren't gonna have much of a relationship anyway so don't really feel the need to go too much into in depth into her as a character there's this entire subplot about the bonsai trees and daniel having to go on the side of a cliff and get a bonsai tree it has one of those moments where mike barnes like almost commits uh you know first degree murder <laughs> Uh, so you know it's like all this other shit but at the end of this hey surprise we're going back to the all valley tournament that is where all this is going to go that's where they settle their disputes and in case (laughs) in case this movie wasn't annoying and the reason why like i made it a point to talk about daniel being the reigning defending champion apparently this year the rules for the all valley karate tournament have changed as opposed to Karate Kid 1, where Daniel had to fight his way from being, you know, from posing as a black belt to winning the championship. This year, apparently, the only person that needs to go up the tournament bracket is going to be the challenger because the defending champion will only have to <laughs> will only have to fight in the finals. So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. <laughs> and it's like, all right, like Mike Barnes fought how many people in this tournament? Like, no wonder Daniel wins. Like, even the fight doesn't feel interesting. Like, we get there and Crease and Silver pass out all these Cobra Kai's uh t-shirts that are get what are they? Yellow t-shirts that yeah. are Cobra Kai, and then all the Cobra Kai never dies and all this other stuff. And I think that I think that line is from this movie. Yeah, I, I think heard that's it where it's for. I did not. I don't think I heard it in Karate Kid. <laughs> I'm sure someone will yell at me like and say, "Oh, well, you weren't paying attention." It's like, oh, my yeah. bad. All right, shit. But yeah. It, yeah, it's you know what that just goes to show you how fucking unprepared. And again, goes back to scumbag Miyagi. As I'm starting to think he taught Daniel wrong as a joke. The fact that the reigning defending all Valley karate tournament champ only has to pretty much fight once and he still gets his shit rocked the entire fight by Mike Barnes. It just goes to prove that how severely unprepared this kid was for any sort of competitive karate like matches. And it made no reason, it made no sense why they had to go through the kata part of it because. Didn't it just make more sense for Daniel to just keep using the drum technique from Karate Kid 2? Like, I mean, that's the technique he used to win a fight, a life or death for fight. his life! <laughs> <laughs> it's like he immediately forgot about it! And it's just like, that's the part that annoys me. It's like, what are the stakes here? Like, in the last one, Daniel was literally fighting for his life. And now in this movie, he's does Daniel gain anything from winning the championship? Stakes are his honor, and that is it. <laughs> they like try to make this callback to the whole fighting for your honor thing from Karate Kid Two, and it's like it doesn't work. I do want to talk. I do want to go back to Terry Silver purposefully training, uh, <laughs> training uh, Daniel wrong. Because he's teaching him to go for the joints, and he's teaching him like how to like just break people's faces. And Daniel's like, "Oh, but Mr. Silva, I can't do that. Like, you know that you can't do face shots in karate." And then he goes, "Come on!" 
And then Daniel, no fact checking, no nothing is just like, okay. And then he just like starts breaking boards and he just starts getting all aggressive for no reason. Like it's so stupid. Like really the writer's room just kind of shit the bed here. <laughs> it's just ridiculous how, how just they wrote every character to be stupid. And even like Miyagi, like I like I've loved Mr. Miyagi in like the first two movies. In this movie, he just plays such a passive role that he's just like, eh, Daniel will learn his lesson on his own. He'll be all right. He'll figure it out. And it's like so weird because it's so uncharacteristic of him, you know? The characters feel like they're phoning it in as hard as the writer and director are. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It just feels like this just feels like a forced sequel. It feels like they probably thought, well, you know, this this year is going to belong to Back to the Future 2. That's the sequel everybody mm-hmm. wants. And like no and they, and it just feels like they weren't even that interested in putting together a coherent or decent mm-hmm. movie. So, you know, whatever. Daniel ends up winning the tournament. It ends like the last two movies ended. And that's pretty much it. That's Karate Kid yeah, 3. Yep. Now, before we get into you know liking it and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to try this okay. exercise. All right. You are Robert okay. Mark Kamen. <laughs> and you have been tasked with writing the Karate Kid Part 3. How would you do it? Hmm. If I can, so if I can like dream. I guess like Monday morning quarterback, how I like what would be the story I write? Yes, we are literally making our own version of Karate. Well, for Kid starters, Kid. I wouldn't make fucking I would not make this movie take place in nineteen eighty five when you know it's been when this movie's set to come out in nineteen eighty nine, I would like age everyone kind of appropriately. <laughs> and I would I don't know. I maybe I would at this point you start thinking about how Ralph Macchio's getting older, like you would think that maybe you don't need him to start to keep being like this pretty boy role. Like, uh, well, I mean, he's, uh, he's got a youthful face, not a youthful body. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe you start writing him, in, writing it in mind where he's either like starting to work with Miyagi and making Miyagi do like an actual established dojo. Um, but I don't know. Like I don't think I, I don't I don't think I would bring back Cobra Kai. I think that Cobra Kai story would probably be done at this point. Or maybe mm-hmm. you write Kara. I, I, I don't know. Actually, not as you mentioned it. What would you do? All right. So what I would probably do on this, especially since again we're talking about how these movies kind of follow the Rocky template in some ways, mm-hmm. I would probably make this the. All right, Daniel has been the all-Valley karate champion a couple years in a row. And now we are five years away from it. You know, he's an adult now. He's grown up, at least, you know, in the five years that he's... I mean, the guy, he's older, right? Like, he's just older. And it could be one of those things where, much like, you know, the old Rocky movies where a new threat would come in that would bring Rocky in out of retirement to try to come back and fight. Mm -hmm. I would probably do something like that. Maybe he has to go to Russia and has to fight this other like Karateka (laughs) who killed his friend in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) Or you keep, 
you know, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi in Okinawa and have Daniel train the next, like, you know, protege, as you said, right? Like, I mean, there's other ways that you could have gone with this. And I think very clearly, given the amount of time that had gone by between the original and this, what they did isn't the right thing to have done. Not at all, good buddies. <laughs> all right. So, Avi, do you no. like the Karate Kid 3? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not like this movie. <laughs> it was fucking a chore to get through. Like, I remember I was watching it and I was just like, this movie, I mean, it's going to get better, right? And, and never at any point does it actually get better. I mean, I feel bad for like, because you know, there there's people that are acting their their they're at, there's people acting their 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 brains out, you know, like uh, Jessica Robin Lively, like she wasn't bad, you know, like she was trying her best, but she was also in this weird position where, you know, she's a sixteen year old, you know, playing the foil to this like older dude, and it's just like already in a weird awkward position, like you know, I think she was doing the best with what she had. But I mean, it felt like everyone else and everyone else was just kind of like phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think that was a good way of putting it. Whether it was Pat Morita, whether it was Ralph Macchio. I think the only person that was actually like acting their balls off was Terry uh, Silver because he was just, he went full like super villain. Like that scene when they're in the dojo when they confront uh, Daniel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like him and crease are just bullying him and they have mike barnes kicking his ass like all around and then finally like he ends up running right and they're just sitting there like just talking about how how smart they are and just smelling their own farts and shit and i was just like <laughs> i was like oh wow he's really leaning into like being an evil villain and then when like silver fights miyagi and gets his ass kicked <laughs> Uh, he, I can only honestly say the guy that played Silver was probably trying his best. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I used I, whenever I watch movies I don't like, I at least try to find some stuff that I like to redeem it or maybe some things that I can pick that I like. Honestly, I there was nothing in this movie I can say I liked. No, it was Pat Morita, maybe. I, like, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I like. I like Ralph Macchio and I like Pat Morita. I don't like anything that they've made them do in this movie. I think this movie shouldn't exist. I think that the movie, that the second movie in this franchise is, is in a very good note to end off on. It's not as good as the first one, but it was good enough. Like we had really good feelings about it, right? You and I have watched all the seasons of Cobra Kai. So we are very entrenched in the world of this movie now. And if you notice, (laughs) very few, if any, references to this movie have been made in that series because this really was the worst one. I'm curious what's going to happen in season four because it seemed, and I don't mean to spoil it, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. For anyone who has not watched Cobra Kai season three, please turn this off now. Now Also just a heads up. Skip the last episode of this series because we're going to spoil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Cobra Kai season four is teasing that Crease uh, is going to end up bringing Terry Silver back. Like we've seen Terry Silver to some degree in the flashbacks in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. 
he is one of those characters and I'm pretty certain he's going to come back because everybody's coming back for this series. Yeah, wait till Jaden comes back and Hillary Swank. That's going to be great. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, right. What if there's a giant karate fight? In <laughs> like, like Avengers Endgame? Shut the fuck up. Yes. <laughs> it's just... It's just, <laughs> it's just fucking Barnes about to kill Johnny Lawrence. <laughs> and then, uh, just a ring opens up and Jaden Smith comes out and he's like on your left <laughs> and then it's like him and Hillary Swank and a bunch of kids that they trained to fight <laughs> you know I like this infinitely more than what we just watched <laughs> who gave me a microphone I'm so stupid <laughs> alright obviously I don't like this movie it shouldn't no. have been made. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's this, part of this franchise. Like, this should have been left on the cutting room floor. Just the entire movie. <laughs> but, alright. So this movie was so bad that it basically ruined the entire franchise. You would have thought it would have never came back. Except there is a fourth installment in the original series. Surprise, and, bitch. and all the original writer and all that kind of stuff they're all gone by the time we get to the fourth movie so the fourth movie is gonna go in a pretty different direction and we look forward to going through that episode next week so i'm gonna go ahead and just say thanks for joining us this week's episode of uh you know us going over karate kid 3 and we will talk to you guys next time when we discuss the next Karate Kid. But, you know, again, we continue to thank you guys for supporting the show, for, uh, you know, interacting with us on social media, for rating the podcast on Apple Podcasts, because some of you are starting to do that. So we appreciate it. Please leave us reviews if you can. Uh, it's We're very appreciative to it. Um, and uh, we appreciate you guys for continuing to follow us on this journey of the Karate Kid. Hell yeah. It's been a fun ride. And I can't wait till we get to the good Karate Kid, by which I mean the one with Jackie Chan. <laughs> All right. So we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Later, y'all.